and welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real Conversations is a podcast for those dedicated to doing hard things and living a meaningful life. This episode is going to be a RC Rewind episode where I share a previous interview from the Venture Mentality podcast, which is the podcast that I hosted a few years ago. This episode is going to be with Chris Pronger, a Hall of Fame hockey player and two-time Olympic gold medalist. I want to note a few things before we start the episode, the first one being that this episode was recorded a few years ago when I had very little technical knowledge of audio and video production, and my equipment was nowhere near as nice as the equipment that I have now. So you may notice the audio quality is a little bit lower than what has become the Real Conversation standard. So I hope you guys bear with me because I still think the message and the content of this episode is extremely valuable. I also want to note that at this time, COVID had just started, my senior year was cut short, and I was learning a lot and figuring a lot of things out. And so I may come across as less confident in this episode, and my questions may not be as well articulated as I would have liked. But nonetheless, as I already mentioned, I believe this episode has a lot of value and a really great message. So please bear with me. And as always, you guys can find me on Instagram at Jacob O'Connor. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. And I'm super excited for next week's episode as well. I've already started working on it. So make sure you tune in next week to check it out. Without further ado, here's my episode with Chris Pronger. You don't play the sport to make it to the Hall of Fame. You don't, you play the sport to win and, and win championships and, and be the best you can be. But you have to have a passion for it. You have to love it. In order to get to this level, you have to love what you do. And you have to have a, a genuine passion to get better, to refine and hone your craft to be the best that you can be and constantly learning. I know for me, as I went on in my career, I was constantly evolving and changing and, and getting better. Uh, and if I wasn't, I knew I was done. You know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse because everybody else around you is getting better. All right, guys, welcome back to the Venture Mentality Podcast. I'm excited to announce that today joining us is the second overall draft pick in the 1993 NHL Draft, Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, a member of the Triple Gold Club, and Hall of Fame inductee, Chris Pronger. What's up, Chris? Not much. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic, man. I appreciate you sitting down with, with myself and my listeners today. No problem. My pleasure. Sweet. So, you know, just to get into it, I always like to kind of look back at the childhood. I feel like that's where a lot of um, the, the future success stems from. So growing up, I know that you have an older brother. Uh, was, your yeah. physic, was your physicality that you expressed in hockey, did that come from playing pond hockey with your brother and, and all those times <laughs> starting out? Uh, probably a little bit. I think, uh, you know, we had a lot of little games down in our basement where we would uh, – flip a ball into the corner and see who could come out. But, uh, you know, I think I've always, when I was growing up, always played against older kids and, and needed to, you know, play, play up a little bit. But I had that mindset and that, uh, that switch in my head that I would snap. And, and uh, yeah, you know, it was inherent in me and, and something I think I was born with that, uh, you know, that intensity and, and 
uh, tenacity to, to play the game at a certain, a certain way at a certain level. Absolutely. And, and so starting out when you were younger, was it like the first couple times you got hit? Was there like fear in your head of like, ow, that hurt? Or was it like, um, the more you did it, the more you got used to it? Yeah, no, I, no, I, you know, you get hit, uh, you learn when you, when you first start playing and, and hitting is, is kind of brought into the sport. Um, you either like it or you don't like it. And, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed being hit. I mean, obviously you like hitting more, <laughs> it's better to give than receive, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the challenge and, and that matching up physically with the, the opposition and, and, uh, things of that nature. And, and, and I enjoyed that from a young age. How do you even prepare from like a physicality standpoint for the hits you're going to give as well as receive in the hockey rink? Uh, you know, I think a lot of that is, is training. Um, a lot of that is just practice and, and putting yourself into those situations where, um, you are testing yourself, uh, you're trying different things. I, I think at a younger age, you're able to try certain things where, uh, you're smaller, you know, you're, you're not as physically mature. So you're able to contort your body and, and do certain things in a way that, uh, you're not going to get injured and, and, and try out different things and try hitting a certain way and, and angles and things like that, that, uh, uh as you get bigger, stronger, faster are going to create a lot more issues uh, potentially uh, down the road. And, and certainly uh, when you're able to do those things at a younger age, you're going to be able to see what works and doesn't work. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I know that um, in, in your Hall of Fame speech, you talked a lot about the belief and how that led to opportunity and different things like that. And so I would like you to kind of take us back through what, what you really meant behind that and what the role belief played in this journey of yours that you've been able to go on. Well, I think belief is... It, it, it it's it's a number of different things uh you know first and foremost you got to believe in yourself and, and you got to have people that believe in you and put you in in situations and and present you with opportunities to uh to take advantage of um and then ultimately in a team sport the the group needs to believe in themselves and believe in the task at hand and believe in in the process to uh to be successful and so, so the belief is, is interspersed in sports all over the place, in, in my opinion. And uh, you have to have that to be successful and you have to have that to, to win. And, you know, first and foremost, for me, I had to believe in myself, which I did at a young age, uh, that I could be competitive and compete and, and play to a high level. Uh, and then it's a matter of putting in the work and the effort to, to get to the level that you believe you can get to. And then from there, it, it's it's coaches believing in you and working with you and trying to help you refine and hone your skills. And, uh, and then from there, it's, you know, getting, getting into the team aspect and, and playing with great teammates that can help cultivate and, and nurture your skills and talents. And, and then again, then you go back into coaching and, you know, it's, it's that cycle and, and, uh, and belief is interspersed, uh, in, in through all of it. And I saw a statistic once and it said like 0.025% of hockey players who have a dream of making it to the NHL actually make a career out of it. So was that something that growing up, like you knew that you needed to behave in a different way because people, um, people, it's such a low percent chance people actually make it. Or were you one of those people where it's like, I'm not going to think about these statistics. I'm just going to do me. Yeah, I wasn't really too invested in the statistics and, 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 you know, I think as things go along, I mean, everybody, uh, when you're playing a sport, whatever it is, your goal or dream is to play in the professional league of that sport. 
Um, so, I mean, that was a, a dream and a goal of mine, but when you're a young kid, there's so many layers to get through before you even get to that stage where you can try to make it that I was just, you have to have a passion. You have to love what you do and, and love the sport and love working at the sport and honing your craft and, and getting better and, and learning. And there's so many facets to, to hockey, uh, and so much to learn and understand that, uh, I was just a sponge soaking it up from, from all sides, whether I was watching the sport, playing the sport, uh, practicing the sport. And, and, you know, there, there's so many, so many pieces to the puzzle that, that go into getting to a certain level and then maintaining that level and then going above and beyond. And, um, you know, it's really statistics, I think can, can really bog you down. And especially when they're as slight as those are, um, you know, and, and that, when that statistic really factors in people that played one game, you know, not long careers, not that's one game, 0.25%, 0.025% played one game and that's all they might've played. So when you boil it down, the number is even smaller of those that actually had a career and even smaller of those that, you know, had an extended career and then an even smaller of those that uh, that had a, you know, a, a long, arduous, uh, you know, productive career. So it, I mean, the numbers can be staggering <laughs> and, and if you get stuck in the minutia and, and the data, so data set, so to speak, you, you're going to feel like you can't make it. Yeah. And did. then, yeah. and then belief comes into play and then, you know, now you get back into that cycle. Yeah, that's got to definitely be super overwhelming. And I know that like across all sports, like the commonality, whether it's Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, yourself or anyone else, it's that they become super immersed in the sport to the point where they don't realize that the things that they're doing are leading them to becoming um, a part of that very small percentage group. It's not like you're focusing on like, oh, I need to do this specifically to reach that bracket. Yeah, no, I like you don't you don't play the sport to make it to the Hall of Fame. You don't you play the sport to win and, and win championships and, and be the best you can be, but you have to have a passion for it. You have to love it in order to get to this level. You have to love what you do and you have to have a, a genuine passion to get better, to refine and hone your craft, to be the best that you can be and constantly learning. I know for me, as I went on in my career, I was constantly evolving and changing and, and getting better. Uh, and if I wasn't, I knew I was done. You know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse because everybody else around you is getting better and you have to, they're, they're constantly evolving. The, the sports changing, uh, players are training differently, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you have to constantly, uh, push yourself to, to continue, continue to evolve. For someone who's listening, who's dead set, like they want to go to the NHL hockey is their life. What advice or tip would you give them to consider um, if, if this is really the road they want to go down? Well, I think everybody can have that that dream and that passion. You know, I don't want to tell people to to be realistic, but I think you have to you have to self evaluate. You have to understand how you're if you if you do want to make it, how you how you're going to make it. Um, you know, there's a number of guys in the NHL that were goal scorers, let's say in junior and were drafted, you know, we'll say fairly high and they've, in order to make the NHL, they had to become checkers, but they scored 50 goals in junior. 
And people are like, really? I'm like, if you want to play in the NHL, you're going to be, you have to be better than somebody else to take their job. And if you're not better than that person, what role can you play on the team to help your team be successful and win? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're there to do. And you have to constantly self-evaluate and, and, you know, some, some players are unwilling to change and unwilling. No, this is the way I'm going to play. This is the way I play. And this is the only way I'm going to play. And a lot of times those guys don't get as much opportunity because if, if you say you're going to be a top six forward and nobody in the top six gets hurt. And those are the guys that are tasked with those roles. You're never going to get a chance to play in that spot. So therefore, if you're not going to check, you're not going to get called up. You're not going to play a role on the team. You're not going to get that opportunity that somebody else is willing to do. And, and you know, really the NHL is about opportunity. It's about getting that chance. And when you have that chance, you have to take advantage of it and run with it. And, you know, there's countless stories of guys that were given an opportunity through injury or suspension or what have you. And they never got sent back down because they just played too good. And, and it happens, you know, and, and there's, you know, and then there's the counter argument to that where guys get given opportunity after opportunity and never take advantage of it. They're unwilling to either listen or adapt or adjust their games based on what the coach is asking them to do, or they're, you know, just unable to, to produce at the NHL level. You know, as you go through the different levels, it's, the game changes and it's harder. And, you know, the NHL is very structured and you get down to the AHL, it's a little more cluster, you know, junior on, you know, NCAA, all that stuff. It, 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 there's so many different variables and changes to the style of play that you have to really know what you're good at and what you're not good at in order to improve and get better to get noticed. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, kind of go along with what you're saying. I think I saw somewhere that like the number one thing that employers look for is like, or the number one um, component of your opportunity, your chance of being successful is people's willingness to adapt to change and to kind of mold themselves into that role that they need to fit in. Um, I, I'm a big lover of sports. One of the things that I found really interesting was Michael Jordan, how as he continued his career, he had to adapt and change his game as his body wasn't able to play the same way as it was when he was younger towards when he was older. No, exactly. You have to continue to, to adjust and adapt and evolve. And, you know, I know as I went along in my career, you know, as the, the game changed, you know, you have to adjust and adapt your game. And I know when I was in Anaheim, I started working on quick feed drills more. And, 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 you know, as you get older, there's certain things that you got to work on more than, than others. And, and that was something that I noticed and, and really honed in on. And uh, it, it certainly helped my game. Absolutely. And so just, you know, out of curiosity, having all of these great accomplishments, having the chance to play in these huge stages, what was it like to be victorious in these instances? What was that feeling of winning the, of winning the championship, holding up the cup, all those different things? Well, it's, uh, you know, I think as it relates to the Stanley Cup, there's, there's no greater accomplishment than going through a nine-month season nine months and, and the last two months is every other day grinding it out, uh, you know, with your brothers and, 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 and the, the different ups and downs and adversity that you face throughout the course of a season, uh, you know, the injuries, the heartbreak, the, the, the ups, the downs, 
So all the different things that that culminate in that long of a season, and then to to come through it and and become victorious and and hold the cup over your head and and be proud of the accomplishment that you were able to to do with with your teammates and and management and ownership and the coaching staff and everybody that's involved because it, it's it's a group effort. It's uh, you know it's the players on the ice, but it's the coaching staff uh, getting the players to buy in and and management getting the right players for the coaching staff and ownership giving management the right tools in order to get the right players and the coaching staff and on and on. And on. There's such a, a trickle down effect that uh, when when you're able to go through a season like that and, and be able to finish it off with a victory and, and be able to win a Stanley Cup is uh, is a tremendous accomplishment and something that I look back on. And there's so many life lessons in that season that, uh, uh, you know, every time I think back on certain instances or occurrences that, that happened throughout that year, there's, um, you know, just constant things that, that kind of come up as, as I start thinking about different things that have happened uh, in that season alone throughout my career that, uh, that I can look back on and go, oh, okay, yeah, it's starting to make more sense to me now. And, and I'm able to use it now in my life. So, you know, being on a championship team, being able to, you know, win Olympic gold medals, just in general, what is it like being on a team uh, with that brotherhood? Like, how do you form that culture within an organization? Well, and that's, that's the hard thing. That's some, some teams are able to do it better than others. And, uh, and, and, and again, on it, everything starts at the top. I think we all realize it starts at the top and it starts there. It starts with the ownership, management, coaching staff, players, um, trainers. It, it, it's a trickle-down effect. And, and when the ownership gives the manager his, you know, his, the ability to run the team and, and put the team together and how he sees fit, in this case, Brian Burke, uh, he then comes in and says, all right, we're trying to change a culture. And he brings in the players that he identifies uh, with the culture that he wants to create. And, you know, when you look at that team, it started in 06, 05, 06, and how they put that team together and how the trades that they made and, and the players that they brought in. And then that next summer, they bring in me, they bring in George Peros, they bring in Brad May, they bring in, you know, when you look at the different players, Sean Thornton, you look at the players that they brought in, character guys uh, and players that play a certain style, uh, then you start seeing that, mold come together and you start okay guys are, are buying in and understanding uh what we're brought together to do and accomplish and and uh, you know i think to go back to belief you know you get all these players together and and the mindset and the belief that this is our task we're there to win a stanley cup and anything less is going to be a disappointment and and uh an unsuccessful year and when you have everybody buy into that model uh you're going to see great things and I'm sure that didn't everyone didn't buy in at the same time. I think it probably came down to there was a couple team leaders who had to buy in first in order for other people to start to trickle and follow their lead and then all come together at the end, right? Yeah, it was. It, I mean, we had buy in pretty early because for the for the most part, the team was together the prior year, uh, and then I got there in the summer, and and for the most part, I was the only addition, and then obviously we picked up George Peros. Uh, then we got Brad May at the deadline. Um, so for the most part, that team was together. So a lot of the guys, it was pretty easy to assimilate. What, you know, it's easy to assimilate one or two players uh, because they had made so many changes the year before in trying to change that culture and trying to add, uh, you know, a little bit more grit and and some young players to the lineup and and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think it, it was really 
I was coming in at the tail end of, of the turnover. So a lot of the, the grunt work had already been done and I was coming in at the tail end. That definitely makes a lot of sense. So not to take too hard of a right, but I do want to hit on um, the, the fact that you went through so much adversity, especially with your injuries. And I know this kind of led to some very tough times. I was hoping you could kind of like walk us through that time in your life and how you were able to take these really hard times, you know, your career ending injury, all that kind of stuff, and how you were able to come out on the other side. Because I know there's a lot of people that struggle with different injuries and different things with their life right now. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh... Had it happened, uh, I think maybe at a different point in my career, it might have went a different way. Um, I had already accomplished so much. You know, I was 37 years old and, and didn't really have a whole lot left to to uh, prove. And I and I think because of that, I was at peace with okay, if I'm done, I'm done. I've won a cup. I've won a gold medal. I've won a hard trophy. I won a Norris Trophy. I've, uh, you know, my resume was complete, so to speak. And, and I had played 18, 19 years and, you know, you start looking through that and you're like, oh, okay, good. I mean, I had a, I had a good career. I, I left it all out in the ice. I played, uh, every game like it was my last and you have no regrets. You have no, you know, when you walk back through your career and you say, I got no regrets, I've got no problem with anything I did, uh, you know, obviously suspended eight times and, so be it. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I was proud of my career and proud of the way I played the game of hockey and, and, and the passion and, and, uh, style of play that, that, uh, I played with. And, um, you know, I think when, when I left and, and I was, you know, it, Philly was great in a sense that I was, the owner was fantastic. Mr. Snyder couldn't have been better to me and in, in allowing me the ability to just kind of get away from the team. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much was gone for a year and a half and, and just trying to recover and, and, you know, work on my eye or work on my head, work on everything. And, you know, I think had I been around the team constantly, I think that would have made it a lot harder. Uh, you know, you're immersed in it, you're missing it. You're, you're seeing guys have a great time and the, you know, the, the love of the game and the, you know, when you're able to extract yourself from that and kind of pull back and get away from it, you're able to turn the page a little bit easier. If you're immersed in it and, and you're seeing how much fun the guys are having, and you know, whether it be on the ice, in the locker room, what have you, uh, you certainly miss that part of it. And, and, and you, you long for it and you really, you know, it can affect your mindset. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that was probably, you know, if there's one thing that I would recommend to players that, that go through that is to just extract yourself from, from that life and that stuff, that lifestyle to help you a recover, but B just get out of that mindset of, of being around that environment because, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's, you know, that's the biggest part when you talk to players, that's the part they miss the most. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, as we start to wrap things up um, for those who haven't been keeping up with you, what, are, what have you been up to keeping yourself busy with? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram, uh, doing stuff on there, uh, started a, a luxury travel company with my wife, uh, well inspired travels. Uh, that's been going, uh, going great. We're, uh, we're slowly, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on, it, it's kind of, uh, kind of stopped us in our tracks a little bit, but, uh, that's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we've, we've been able to, uh, 
to really get a lot of work done over over the course of the last three months and 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 really kind of hone our message and tighten our messaging uh, up a little bit more and you know we're really you know we're catered and tailored to elite athletes that uh, you know want to you know I have a unique understanding of the pressures that they're under um, the demands on their time the demands on their family life uh, all the different things that that go on and you know the the mindset of pushing yourself to be the best and then finding time for your family and your wife and all the different people that, that you surround yourself with. It's, it's hard. And when you're pushing yourself to be the best, it's, it's hard on your family and your home life. And, and, and because you're maniacal and in your drive to be the best and your drive to, to win and succeed, uh, you know, getting away and under, I, you know, I have a unique understanding of, of that side of it. And so, uh, you know, we tailor to elite athletes and, and their families and, you know, a small percentage of our business is, you know, business, business executives and, and, and high net worth, uh, friends of, of athletes and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, I, th- I think for us, you know, there's, there's also a, a side to it where there's a mentoring side that, uh, uh, you know, because of what we've gone through and, and as you're digging deeper into putting these trips together for these families and these athletes, you get to know them a lot more. And, and a lot of times my wife was finding that, that the girlfriend or the wife were, was reaching out and, and saying, Hey, I know your husband's been through this and this, what did you do? You know, a lot of times the player or the athlete gets asked, how you feeling? How you doing? When are you coming back? When are you doing, you know, all the different things that, that you can only imagine get asked, but they never ask the, the wife or the husband, how, how are you doing? How are the kids doing? You know, all these things. And, and, you know, I think that's where, where we're excited to be able to step in and, and, and help guide and, and support these families in difficult moments where, uh, you know, the agent can support and friends and family. But a lot of times you get a young wife with the young kid. They don't really know. They're deer in headlights and uh, and they're looking for some support system that we're able to provide because we've been in their shoes and understand exactly what they've been going through. It sounds like you're able to provide a little bit of like balance for them in their personal life. Exactly. Exactly. Because 90, I've been through probably 95% of anything that they're going to go through. I've been through, you know, whether injuries, you know, life circumstances, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, being a professional athlete while it has its glamorous side also has its downsides. And, and, you know, and when you get to, you know, you watch Michael Jordan in the last dance, he was in his hotel room virtually all day and all night because he couldn't go outside. You know, there's that side of it that people don't really understand the notoriety and the fame. It's great. And, and it allows you to make a lot of money and, you, you know, sponsors and all that stuff. But it also has a downside in the fact that you don't get any privacy and you don't, you're not able to do certain things uh, that the layperson can. And that's something that you do give up in, in being that at that level. And, uh, you know, some people deal with it better than others. And, and, you know, uh, you know, that's just a byproduct of, don't, don't get me wrong. It's a byproduct of, being famous and being elite and exceptional at whatever sport you're in, uh, is that notoriety and that fame. And, and, 
Uh, a lot of people use that as drive and, and, you know, you're looking at if we're using Jordan, for example, using slights or using little things to, to kind of drive him and push him because he knows uh, Joe Blow fan paid money to see him play and he wants to see him play at a high level and he doesn't want, you know, he wants bragging rights every time he goes on the court that he's the best. And that mindset and that passion for the sport, you know, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed watching it and seeing that side of it, you know, not obviously not to his level, but that, that drive to be the best, he certainly can understand and, and, and appreciate, um, you know, how, how dedicated and how passionate he had to be about playing this sport of basketball. I completely see that. It makes so much sense. And, you know, as we wrap things up, one last question for you, but first a little bit of background. So when you die, the only thing that matters is the difference that you made and the impact that you had. So that being said, what difference or what impact are you trying to make? Uh, you know, I think, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, be a good citizen in the community, uh, give back to those less fortunate. Um, you know, you know, kind of what we're doing a little bit now is is mentor, uh, when given the opportunity, mentor athletes and their families and kids and, and, uh, kind of walk them through, uh, what I've learned over the course of my career and, and my life and, and, and try to give back in that regard. And, uh, you know, and just try to live my life to the best of my abilities. And, and, you know, I think we hold athletes to a, a certain standard, <laughs> which a lot of times is unfair. But when you're famous and you're in the limelight and, and you're, you're tasked with being a role model, uh, you have certain uh, standards that you got to uphold. And, and I think some athletes uh, understand it and, and, you know, really take it to that next level and others understand it and and do what they can. And others are are unable to live up to the demands. And, and, and those are the guys that, that I think sometimes struggle. I know early on in my career, I struggled with the fame and the notoriety and the people staring and gawking and you take it, you don't know how to look at it. And why is that person staring at me? when they're staring because they know who you are, but when you're young and you don't, you're not really understanding the fame and the notoriety, you're like, what's your problem? <laughs> and then you start figuring, Oh, and then you find out through a buddy that, Oh, well, uh, he was just kind of staring because he didn't think it was really you. So it's, uh, you know, you, you try to, you know, and, and that's something certainly that you can talk about and, and walk people through. And, uh, you know, I think now with the internet and, social media and everything, players are a lot more cognizant and aware of, of a lot of this stuff um, because they've now grown up with it. But uh, uh, back when I first started, <laughs> it certainly wasn't there. <laughs>